Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. What, Billy? Up. This is the game. Yeah. It's a uh, cat and mouse. Smoked a turkey. <laughs> yes. He is down. He is freaking down. Said he shot an absolute giant. Follow obsession, baby. What's up, guys? Welcome to another Follow Obsession podcast. This is the media production manager, Nick Powell, coming to you live from a makeshift recording studio. You're the media production manager. I like that introduction, man. That's awesome. Did I say the? Yeah, oh, you said okay. the media Maybe production manager. Maybe it just comes natural. <laughs> uh, so it's just me and Sam today. We uh, are going to be talking to you a little bit about some deer management, try and give you some tips and tricks, uh, differences in small properties, large properties versus public land, uh, how to bring them in, how to keep them there mm-hmm. when, you, when you get them in, uh, what kind of population you're looking for, buck to doe ratios, just a bunch of different kind of stuff. Uh, Sam, I know last podcast I was a statistics guy, but this time... You are going yeah, to be the statistics you, you guy. had the hookup with the statistics on hog hunting, and and now I'm the, now I'm the guilty party of. You've bringing, done your research. I, I I did a little bit of research. I didn't do a lot of like, it comes naturally. You That's know? true. It just comes yeah. naturally. Yeah. <laughs> when it's an obsession, you we find it comes naturally. Yeah. When you're obsessed about everything <laughs> fall, it's just it just flows, man. Heck yeah. It just flows. So. So before we get started. I just want to let everybody know that this podcast is brought to you by Elite Archery. Mm. Uh, we are very fortunate to have uh, an awesome partnership with Elite. We uh, love our bows. I know, Sam, you're shooting the new Cure. Man, the new Cure is absolutely awesome. I went out and shot the other day with my wife, actually, and it was... Uh, things are just clicking, man. Like, that yeah. bow is amazing, and it was just on fire that day. That's I, awesome. I, I love that bow. And what you can do with that bow, the set technology, the quarter inch draw length increment adjustments, like all that is just absolutely amazing. And I know you love your ritual as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> but no, the the guys. In all seriousness, though, um, we are very grateful to Elite Archery for their partnership, and a huge shout out to them. If you guys get the opportunity, go check one out. Go shoot one. 
um, see what they have to offer. Um, go to your local dealer, and mm-hmm. if you're in the North Texas area, head on over to Cinnamon Creek. Yeah. They can help you guys out there. Take the Elite Shootability Challenge. Put it up against any other bow out there and, and see what you think. I guarantee you that cure is going to blow your mind. Yeah, those guys at Cinnamon Creek really know what they're talking about, too. Yeah. Um, so if you are in the North Texas area, they're right there in Roanoke, uh, just north of Fort Worth, a little ways. So head on up there. They will put you on whatever bow you need, but... Definitely, just like Sam said, take the Elite Shootability Challenge, and that will get you where you need to be with your new cure that you will probably buy. That you should buy, yes. <laughs> <laughs> All right. What do you think, Gear Management Sam? Oh, man. So so this is this is a really... I, I like this topic a lot, and I, I really can get nerdy about deer management. And um, again, it's one of those things, like a lot of things that we have at Fall Obsession that we've kind of learned or I at least have learned off of trial and error. And mm-hmm. I think a really good, uh, and it, it comes up almost in every podcast, it seems like, but our staff hunt from last December, you know, was a management hunt. So yeah. I'm, I'm sure we're going to reference that trip several times as well. But sure. it's, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's a really cool topic. Something that's really important and that guys, they're just on your average deer lease that, um, you know, just pay their yearly fee, put up stands, go out there and shoot whatever walks out mm-hmm. those are guys that probably don't really think about this stuff and even guys in those situations guys that do that they really should be thinking about this yeah. kind of stuff so it's a really a really good good topic um I, I know i we both have some notes here in front of us regarding this this topic um mine are not really in any particular order i'd say but at the top of my list and a good place to start i think is small properties and leases and like you mentioned at the very beginning talking about how to bring them in and how to keep them there. Yeah. Um, I know you hunt small properties a Um, a lot. I don't know if you've pretty much exclusively hunted small properties, but. Except for that management hunt last year that we had with, with fall obsession. I, yeah, pretty much exclusively. We get an opportunity to go to a a kind of a big ranch. Yeah. um, Down close to where we, we hunted last year um, every now and then, Uh but it's not a guarantee. So the small property that we do hunt uh, is... Your home grounds are a small property. Right, yeah. yeah. And it's around 15 to 20 acres. Yeah. So nothing too crazy. So growing up, when I first started hunting as a kid, we were on, I think it was 360-something acres. Mm-hmm. And that's about the biggest lease that I've been on. Everything after that has been smaller yeah. than that. And I know a lease that we hunted um, pretty primarily for four or five seasons, I believe. Um, it was, I, I want to say, 70 only 70 acres. Okay. Um, and it was truly a property that deer would just pass through. Like mm-hmm. there, there was, there were no deer that really lived on that property. There was a ridge that ran through the property and you could see all the surrounding properties and you could see where deer really lived yeah. pretty much. Yeah. And the way that they traveled. And when you have a property like that, if you don't have a food source on it, you don't have a water source on it. And it's truly that pass through aspect you you gotta find a way to keep them there. Yeah, you gotta, absolutely. That's where you gotta put in your work. And I know down in Texas, you know, baiting is legal. Yep. You can put feeders up, feed corn, and stuff like that. Um, I did that for a little bit. Yeah, I brought some does in occasionally, a buck. But really, when I started seeing a lot more consistent results on that property, and actually seeing some decent bucks frequently coming through the area, was when we started planting food plots. Okay. Um, we started planting food plots on the that property, and like. 
pretty much every evening we would have deer on those food plots and they didn't have to be big i think the biggest food plot we had was like an acre okay so it wasn't and granted compared to 70 acres um you know not so much but it, it wasn't a it wasn't a very big plot it was just enough to um, sustain what deer population we had keep them coming in and uh, keep them interested yeah also with that though comes the whole aspect of you don't want to wear it out for sure because yep. it's very easy to do that on a small property to start wearing out your stand setups mm -hmm. so that's where scouting and knowing your deer activity at different times of the year is really going to come into play and really be effective because then you can kind of prioritize hey you know food plot on the south side that's going to be you know kind of my first two weeks in november kind of the rut you know that might be the best, or, or whatever, but that might be the best time to be down there. Yeah. And the rest of the time, I'm going to let it sit so that late season I can come back there and hunt it again. Because if you're in there every single weekend, you're going to put pressure on those deer. Yeah. And, and you're going to run them out of there. So a, a really healthy balance of food sources and then managing your own foot activity and foot traffic out there those are those are going to really kind of help you out i think in the most most ways on a smaller property or lease mm -hmm. in my opinion yeah so I, and I, I don't know if you have any input on that from your own experience with your small properties but yeah here uh just in the last few years we've we've actually kind of made an area where we've put in a food plot uh-huh and i think we've planted oats one year and then we planted some kind of wildlife mixture last year and it's been keeping them in pretty steady, but yeah. it's not not very big just because it's such what we hunt is such a heavily wooded area. Yeah. So this one small area is probably maybe fifty square yards. Yeah. So it's I mean it's not that big at all. But that being said, just with this food plot, that is another food source for these deers who deers. <laughs> <laughs> We're wow. 12. It's my first time, guys. <laughs> Welcome um, to the podcast, Nick. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. Thanks. Uh, so for these deer that are passing through, it's just another food source. Because like you said, it is legal debate. So that's one of our main things we use is uh, corn feeders. We got three corn feeders set up throughout the property. But then this little food plot is just another food source to keep them coming back. Yeah. And guys, when you're if you're looking for stuff to plant, go check out Vapo Products. Oh yeah, they uh, they got some some awesome stuff, not just in the attractant as far as mineral attractants and and blocks and that kind of stuff, but they also have food plot seeds mm -hmm. and a wide variety of them. So um, I won't harp on that or spend too much time on that, but but go check out Vapo Products too if you're looking for for something new to plant. Yeah, so. absolutely. They work very well. Yes, we we have lots of proof for sure on our on our own website. So. Um, a couple other things that I wanted to talk about um, were one was population mm -hmm. because you know if you're if you have a small property and that's your lease it's going to be very hard to manage your population because you again you're looking at that deer are passing through type aspect and typically yeah. if you have a food plot like on the south side or whatever your property you're most likely going to see the same deer in there every evening. Yep. It could be five, it could be a dozen, but you're you're going to see the same deer on a regular basis, whether it be bucks or does. Yeah. On a larger property is where you can really start thinking more about your your actual population and your buck doe ratios. 
Um, and I, I, I got some statistics for you. All right, I'm, I'm statistics the, guy. I'm, I'm the Come statistic. on, stats guy. All right, stats guy. Um, <laughs> so I, I went and I, I did look this up on QDMA, Quality Deer Management Association, um, because they sound important, and they are. They're um, very, yeah, very <laughs> much so. So based on what I was reading, kind of your, your typical and a good – good to shoot for starting ratio as far as bucks to does is a five to one five does to one buck less than that is more ideal um and obviously your ratio versus start of the season to the end of the season is going to be different Mm -hmm. but the thing you want to avoid is having ratios like 10 to 1 15 to 1 20 to 1 as far as your doe to buck ratios because at that point your bucks are not they're not having to work for their does. They can stay in a smaller home range mm-hmm. and be able to, you know, cover the does that they want, and they don't really have to work to go to go find, you know, a new doe or yeah. anything like that. And especially in hunting season, especially in November during the rut, within your own property, you want those bucks moving around. Mm-hmm. You want those bucks to be traveling and you know unaware yeah so you know then i feel like it also comes to competition yeah also another great tactic to getting that big buck to come in is rattling antlers or yeah. some kind of rattle bag or a grunt call yeah grunt call something like that so that's a, that i feel like that plays a big part in it if you have those bucks working and competing for those does that's a great way to get even i mean even a management buck or whatever you whatever you're looking for well and you and with and with rattling antlers and stuff during the rut you're not just going to find you're not just going to call in a buck that's that's roaming around searching but if you're if you have a target buck and you know where that buck's home range is and you and you know that he is there and you go in and you start making a fuss he's going to come out there looking for who's tearing up his place oh yeah you know Very he, that, that's yeah. his turf and he wants to know who's on it so yeah that that's a that's another aspect of it but i mean i mean ideally like i said a lower than five to one ratio is, is going to be good because you're like you said you have that competition aspect mm-hmm. they're having to work to find those that haven't been bred and yeah it's it's going to be better for for your bucks going off of that i did see an interesting statistic all right stats guy back again yeah out there on QDMA, and that was approximately, roughly, 50% of fawns are bucks. Yeah. So half of fawns are bucks, half of fawns are does. So, now granted, deer are going, you're going to have problems with, you know, I mean, deer that run out and get hit by cars, you're going to have old age disease, all that other stuff that's going to play a play a part in Absolutely. your population year after year. But as far as you want to try to maintain those that ratio, and what that boils down to is shooting does. Mm-hmm. Because you get a lot of guys that go out there, and they, they want to kill a big buck. They hunt a big buck and work their butt off to get that big buck. And once yeah. they finally got them, yeah, maybe they'll shoot a doe the rest of the year. But they're happy with that. Yeah. you got to shoot does. got to shoot does because it's it's very important to your population. And you and I witnessed the long-term effects of not shooting as many does Absolutely. last December in San Angelo yeah. when there were does crawling everywhere. You couldn't you couldn't walk 50 feet down the road without seeing a doe. Yeah, it was wild. Like, and I'm, I'm, we're not over-exaggerating, guys. No, we got stories to back this up. It yep. was absolutely crazy the number of deer that were down there. Yeah. So it allowed for some good hunting, but definitely a lot of does that need to be taken off mm-hmm. of that place. So the other thing 
that I'll kind of rabbit trail into is aging a deer. Mm-hmm. Because when it comes down to um, like your your bucks and shooting mature bucks, that that's the other thing is these deer you shoot, you want to be mature. You don't just want to go out there and start popping anything that moves. Right. You want to avoid the yearlings, even you know the one and two year olds, the the and I know button bucks down here in Texas at least are are a hot topic because they're frequently easily confused, quote yes. unquote, yes. with a doe. So yes, and, and on top of that, there's no consequences because as long as they're as long as their antlers aren't protruding, as long as they're true buttons, you can tag them as a doe. So because. Yeah, Technically, the tag in, here in Texas is antlerless versus antlered. Yeah, I think so. in most places it is. So, as far as aging a deer, uh, I I have, you know, over the years, I feel like I'm able to judge something pretty well on the hoof. Mm-hmm. But I did look up some actual, some other, what other people say so that I have a little bit better thing other than my <laughs> own words. I have fancier sounding words than my own words to give you there guys. You go. So, Let's make it sound good. <laughs> So, looking, if you're trying to age a deer, and, and we're mainly talking about bucks, but some of this can be applied to does too. Yeah. But like a one to two year old deer, um, and, and for the sake of this conversation, I'm mainly referring to bucks as I'm, as I'm giving off these stats. Um, a one to two year old buck, they're going to have small body weight, they're going to be long and lanky, and pretty much they're going to look like a doe with horns. Mm-hmm. I mean, it depends really on what they're eating, genetics and stuff as far as what they're going to have on their head. Yeah. But, I mean, a one-year-old buck could have spikes. I mean, I've seen one-year-old deers with spikes or cow horns. Two-year-old deer could have the same, or you could be looking at a little basket rack six or eight, you know, potentially, Mm -hmm. on on like a two-year-old deer. So, those are going to be, like I said, those long and lanky deer. Not much to their body weight, but they also don't really have a whole lot of muscle tone either. Those are going to be kind of your your one- to two-year-old deer. Moving on to more of a three-year-old deer, this is where your deer are actually going to start to, I mean, this is like thinking of it as like a late teenage deer, you know, that are actually starting to put on some body weight, gain some muscle, um, that kind of thing. They're, yeah, they're, that's a good way to put it. Yeah, they're, and their antler size is going to go up, um, body weight's going to go up, um, their butt, their chest, their neck, they're going to fill out, they're going to be muscular looking, um, lean deer is pretty much that think of it like a racehorse they're gonna be like a racehorse looking deer and surprisingly enough your three-year-old deer actually do quite a bit of breeding yeah um so despite even having more dominant bucks in the area so with those three and this goes back to management with those three-year-old deer if you got a buck running around that you can tell is going to be a wonky looking deer you know, bad genetics, bad antlers, all that kind of stuff. You want to kill him before he hits that three-year mark, because at that point, those genetics are going everywhere. So if you can kill him as a one, a two, a three-year-old deer, I know we just said don't kill young deer, <laughs> but but when it comes to a management buck, certain that's, circumstances, certain call circumstances, for it. that's going to be a lot better for your overall population in the long term is being able to shoot that deer before he reaches full breeding maturity. Yeah. Moving on. A four-year-old buck, these deer are going to have heavy body weight. Their chests are going to be a lot bigger. Um, Their brisket line is going to start becoming more defined, hanging a little bit lower. You know, their neck and their chest particularly are going to really fill out, get thick. I mean, and and you're going to see an obvious increase in in antler growth. Um, 
four to five years old, that is a very hard window to judge a four-year-old deer versus a five-year-old deer because they're very similar. Um, the best thing I can say about a five-year-old deer is you're going to see uh, more antler mass mm -hmm. on that deer. Um, their nose, they're going to get more of that kind of that Roman bull nose to them a little yep. bit more. And potentially, might not be more to like six or seven, but potentially at five you could start seeing a little bit more gray and white in the face of the deer itself. Yeah. So that's kind of a nutshell on some aging tactics that you guys can use um, to, to hopefully better gauge the, the age of your deer. In my opinion, I ideally, I would like to shoot, like if I'm just going out for a mature buck, I'd like to shoot a five-year-old or bigger. Four-year-old, still acceptable. Yeah. But I don't, unless it's for management purposes, I do not want to shoot a deer that's younger than four years old, right. in my opinion. So I don't know if you have any thoughts on that. Um, yeah, I, I agree with pretty much everything you said. Ditto. Yeah. Ditto <laughs> is an accurate word for it. So with deer aging and everything, like I said, it, it's not, it doesn't always come easy to guys on a hoof. It, even if you have to make yourself a little flashcard, man, make yourself a little flashcard and just write down just briefly, you know, some of the stuff that even we're talking about right now, Yeah. just something you can keep in your bag, keep in your pocket and if there is a doubt or if you're really even if you're out there scouting looking at trail cameras and you really just want to try to try to better yourself and and better tell what that deer is um you know that that could be a, a useful tool for you as well so i had this thought pop into my head <laughs> Let's it's, hear it. it's in reference to our hunt down in san angelo and i realized actually a while back episode two so guys episode two of our podcast we actually talk about all the stories and everything from this hunt but I remember Daryl. You remember Daryl. Oh, right? I will never forget Daryl. We referenced Daryl in that podcast, and we said we'll talk about him in a minute, and we never did. How could we so forget about Daryl? I, I thought about that when I li finally listened to it. I was like, I'm oh, sorry, Daryl. We forgot about Daryl, so I'm glad we can finally talk about Daryl. You know what's great about Daryl, though? He'll forgive us. Daryl will forgive us. Daryl's a cool guy. <laughs> he so. Is. Shout out to field staffer Andy Meeks. He yeah. found Daryl. Um, he's got an article on fallobsession.com as well um, called something like a deer named Daryl or, or something uh, along those lines. Why tail management a deer named Daryl. There you go. Go check that out if you want Andy's story yeah. on Daryl. So awesome basically, story. Andy, was it, was it you and him in a blind together yep. the first time? Yeah. So maybe you can, you can. I know we don't want to, I, I don't want to take up too much time with the story, but you can, yeah. you can expand so, on it a little bit. Yeah, I can shed a little light on Daryl. Uh, so me and Andy were hunting together, uh, I believe it was Wednesday afternoon and all this is in his article, by the way, guys. So if y'all want to go check out a more detailed story of this, then yeah, definitely go to fallobsession.com slash articles. You'll be able to find it. Oh yeah. But yeah. We were hunting, I think it was Wednesday afternoon while we were down there and there was plenty of deer already taken. Uh, and so we were just chilling. This is our first time we met the night before this for the first time ever and so we're just kind of getting to know each other and we got two sets of of vapple outside of our blind and we see this little button buck just hanging out not not a care in the world and yeah. uh we do so much as yell at this deer <laughs> i mean we do everything from from you know, throwing stuff to yelling at this deer, and he will not go anywhere. And so uh, this deer, little button buck, was deemed the name Daryl yes. by Andy. Uh, and he was seen by, 
I think you've seen by us again, by me and you when we hunted yeah, together. Yeah, we, we hunted together, and he show, it was at a different stand, and he showed up. And, yeah. and that's where he kind of got the term as a stand-up guy. Yeah. Because, like, yeah. every time Daryl would leave, all the other deer would leave. Yeah. And every time Daryl would come back, all the other deer would come He's back. He's a natural leader. It might have just been pure coincidence, but I, I tend to gravitate <laughs> toward the natural leader theory. Absolutely. So he's going to be a big deer one day. Um, and Yeah, he'll he'll lead many. I agree with that. Anyway, so that that's the, that's the reference to Daryl. Um, it's a rather comical story. Like I said, Andy's got an article on fallobsession.com that if you're interested, you can go read the full story. But yeah, he was seen by many out there. And uh, we definitely have a, have a love and appreciation for the button buck name. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Always and forever in our hearts. Forever in our hearts, absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> so, so while we're talking about articles, though, um, and, and I'm not going to steal his thunder yeah. as, as in talking you know, about what's in his article, but there's an article on fallobsession.com about predator hunting um, written, by, written by one of our field staffers. Mm-hmm. Very, very good article. Yeah. I strongly encourage you guys to go check it out. Um, he, he talks about when predator hunting is important, and I, I, I learned stuff from it because oh, yeah. he talked. There's yeah. one thing I learned I love about what I do for Fall Obsession is these guys send in articles and I get to edit these articles and reading them. I learned, I've learned a lot just in the few articles that I've, I've uh, edited so far Yeah. and reading this dude's article taught me a lot. And now I'm going to change my tactics on when I go predator hunting. <laughs> yeah. He, I mean, he talks about seasons that are good for predator hunting when you want to back off when it's important. So guys, if, you, if you're truly interested in deer management, you need to know about, predator hunting and predator management as well the yeah. two go hand in hand so be sure that you go check out that article that article as well yeah um, it, absolutely. it's a really good one just a couple i guess i'll mention we can mention just a couple of points in the article yeah yeah for sure uh, a little, little sneak peek for you yeah so a question he has for the reader is does predator hunting even make an impact to your deer herd right and the answer is yes if you do it at the right time of year. So he mentions that the right time of year is when these fawns are dropping. That's when you want to take care of your predator problem. Yeah. And then also he mentions that killing every single coyote might not be a good thing because females are very territorial. And so if you kill that one, there's going to be one or two more that come and try and take over that, that territory. Yeah. So that and so I mean that literally goes to theory. You hear you hear some old farmers or people talking. You know, you kill one, two more just show up. Yeah. Well, there's actually some truth to it. Yeah, so it's absolutely. not just an old wives' tale. So there's a ton more information in that article. So go check it out for sure, guys. Fallobsession.com slash articles. Yes. All right. We're we're moving on um, to stay within our time for today. Um, I have. I want to talk about off-season necessities. Yeah. Um, and and what what's important to do when and, and this depends a lot on your schedule and what you're able to do. How often you're able to make it to the property that you hunt. Um, but scouting, trail cameras, obviously getting your food sources out there, mm-hmm. maintaining your food sources. Those are all very important. Yeah. And this kind of goes hand in hand with the topic I was going to talk about next after this and that was trail cameras and scouting all kind of meshes together but i it's i feel like even in the spring and summer months guys go out there and it's more of oh it's not deer season 
what I do doesn't really matter. Yeah. And there's that that's not the case. Absolutely. Your not. pressure still matters, especially when you start getting late July, August, September, those months leading up to the start oh, of yeah. deer season. So I know we put out a poll on our Instagram story or a questionnaire, whatever, a few days ago about asking people how often they check their trail cams. Mm-hmm. And we got a wide variety of answers. We got people every two weeks, once a month, as often as I'm out there, you know, 24-7, some guys, <laughs> you know, what, whatever. And it's really important to not, not I think, not put yourself in there too often. Yeah, um, I agree. And, I mean, it's one thing, like, if if you're out there, yeah, you can go check your camera, but... I don't think during the off, even during the off season you should make specific trips to go check your cameras like once every two weeks, mm-hmm. you know, or or stuff like that. I think once a month is good, but during the off season, if you got a deer showing up on your camera, I mean he's there. What are you gonna do about it? You're not yeah. hunting the deer. You're not trying to trying to get in on him. You want to pattern him, so. If you can do that with a more spread out time frame and therefore less pressure on your deer in between checking your cameras, in my opinion, that that's a lot better. Yeah. And and a lot lot easier. Where you can really benefit for if you're hardcore into scouting, man, those those wireless cellular trail cameras. That's what I was just gonna say. Yeah, though those could be right up your alley. They're more expensive. It's an investment, yeah. but you get a picture, it gets sent right to your phone. Yeah. You know, and you can look at it without even having to go out there. We have. I think a few staffers who take advantage of that of that benefit, that I know, technology. I so. know that uh, spy point cameras, we are, and for the record, we are not at this time sponsored by a trail camera right. manufacturer or spy point, but we do have a review on there about spy point cameras and the cellular cameras that they offer for a relatively inexpensive price. Mm-hmm. So if you guys are looking for one, you might go check out those guys. And so. if you're looking at more gear, go check out the rest of our gear reviews. Yeah. FollowUpSession.com. We have a lot of gear reviews. And and talking about gear and gear reviews, um, off-season is, is obviously when guys are really trying to gear up, get new stuff for yeah. fall. The best time to go find new stuff is January, right after a season right ends. After, yeah. Because especially all the big box stores, they're trying to get ready for spring turkey, fishing, all that other stuff that's coming up in the spring. And a lot of that hunting stuff, even if they don't put it on their catalog or advertise it, a lot of that hunting stuff is marked down. Yeah. So January, February, right after you're done hunting, the wife may not want you going out there and spending money on hunting stuff right <laughs> after the season closes, but right. you might save some money. So yeah. talk her into it, guys. Yeah. Um, but to finish my point on scouting, you want to pattern your deer, especially if you're passionate about it. You want to know where these bucks home ranges are but at the same time you got to have a healthy balance between that and pressure you don't want to pressure these deer too hard because it can affect long term when you get to the fall and especially i believe in september like there are some food plots your fall food plots that you might plan in september but i really in september you really should be limiting your movement out there as best you can scout from a distance scout from high points you know don't wander down you're on your trails in your woods as much yeah make sure your stands and your food sources are good to go and then go you know mm-hmm. get out of there because because that's when those deer are developing their fall patterns that's and that's when um that, that's when it's going to be most crucial as far as your activity out there leading up into fall and being successful yeah so also one more thing i wanted to touch on was stand setups Yes, stand setups for um, sure. Me personally, um, I haven't tried any like hang on tree stands or 
uh, climbing tree stands, or I, I think there's a saddle nowadays. Man, saddle hunting is becoming very popular. Very. I'd be lying if I said I tried it because I haven't, I but we have a lot of guys on our staff that have tried it. Um, so if you got if you guys are looking for suggestions, I think we might have a review. I believe there. so. Or, yeah. or one I think uh, field staffer Stephen Bowen sent one in. I, I think Stephen's going. I think Dylan might have had one. Yeah. Um, but but we got some reviews um, either on there or on the way. Um, so keep an eye out for that. And and obviously you guys can reach out to us um, through our website if you're interested in getting in contact with one of these guys we have that uses them frequently. We'd be happy to set that up. So it was Dylan. Okay. Good job, Dylan. Good job, Dylan. Um, yeah, stand setups. I don't know if you want to elaborate on that more. We kind of got off on saddle hunting yeah, a little bit. Yeah. But... <laughs> <laughs> Dang rabbit holes. Um, yeah, so I primarily use tripods just because I haven't bitten the bullet yet and spent the money on a climbing tree stand. Yeah. I know where I hunt, it's heavily wooded, so tripods work great um, right over the feeder. If you can't bait, I know some states say you can't bait, you can put that's when scouting comes in uh-huh. big time because you can find those trails where those deer are walking every day um where they're traveling from their bedding area to their food plot you know wherever but yeah me personally tripods as of right now but i'm not opposed to anything else man my i mean i grew up my dad was a rifle hunter growing up so we had box blinds a lot yeah when i in the early days and when i started bow hunting and, and up till now i really I, I spend most of my time in a tree stand or a or a ground blind, whether that's a hang on or just a ladder stand or, yeah. or kind of whatever. I'm not a wealthy man, so whatever <laughs> I have to work with. That makes two <laughs> of us. <laughs> but uh, yeah, just, I, I'd say fit your needs, fit your budget as yep. best you can. And like I said, shop those deals um, and save your money. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah. if, and wait for something to go on sale. It, it sucks. I know how it is. It sucks to play the waiting game and wait on yeah. and wait on the stuff you want to go on sale. But, but hopefully it'll pay off if you got some raggedy gear hang on to it for one more year wait till january uh, within reason don't put yourself in a safety bind (laughs) right you know don't don't be using a ladder stand that's all rusted out and could fall over at any second but or a tree harness that's fraying but yeah if you if you can play the waiting game it's a it's a good one so talking about scouting is a good is a good time to also mention um a topic we wanted to bring up was shed hunting yeah um Shed hunting, and and I I will admit I am probably not the best source on shed hunting just just because I am I'm somewhat limited in how much I've done it. Yeah. But from what I from what I have done, and probably why I haven't done so much of it, <laughs> is small properties because on small properties it does not seem to work as well. Yeah. I Especially because these bucks typically are going to shed their antlers in more of their home range, and if their home range if you have a pass through property. And their home range is not on that property the chances of you finding a shed are significantly less so that's probably yeah. why my shed hunting efforts have been rather um unsuccessful yeah i am in the same boat in, in, in most of the time but um from what i understand and the research i've done that that is what that's what i i get out of it. yeah it, i have it, heard it, that you can set up like shed traps where uh-huh. you can find three trees set up like um set up a like some kind of fencing uh-huh. hog panels something like that uh something that won't hurt the deer or hurt the environment or whatever yeah and set them up at like an angle and then you put corn or some sort of attractant in that to when they go and eat the corn their antlers will hit that fencing and it'll knock them off yeah um, i've heard of guys doing that 
there's I'm sure there's several different kinds of shed traps out there but like you said probably your best bet will be to go on a big piece of property public land public land is a great one if you can get permission to just go shed hunting that could be a great way to get an in with a property owner mm -hmm. who has some good land it's um, a good it's a good opportunity to scout too even right after the season 100%. is always a good opportunity to scout because right after the season closes and and again i'm not advocating pressuring deer but if you're going to pressure them that's the best time to do it because they got a full almost a full year to recover yeah. at that point and get back in their pattern and you can also kind of gauge if you got target bucks which ones made it which ones might have not and and that can that can help you in a lot of ways in planning planning for the next season because not only not only can you look at your population and what's coming out of the year but you can also i mean you're still in the same season and conditions that those deer are used to in the fall so you can see i mean a deer's pattern might change summer versus fall yeah so you can see okay this is what they're doing this time of year so next year you can plan plan better for that plan yep. plan more accordingly i know a lot of our a lot of our guys on staff do that i try to do that as much as i can like I said, it can be easier with larger properties or public land versus sure. small pass-through properties. But even pass-through properties, you might find a new trail you didn't know about. Yeah, something like that. Absolutely. So, Good stuff. Yeah. The last thing uh, that I'm going to mention, and I know we're we're cutting into our time here, but the last thing that I'm going to mention is an article that just went up on the website. I, I um, you know, recently, uh, and that is high fence versus low fence. Yeah. Talking about the whole perception behind high fence, how it is not always accurate, and when it can really properly be applied, because there's a place for high fence properties. That's I a think. very debated topic. It is. It's a very debated in topic. In this industry right now. Because you get a lot of the, the smaller guys that work their butts off but have low fence leases, and high, they look at high fence as, you know, trophy hunts, yeah. trophy deer. Not fair chase. High thing. fence properties can very much be fair chase, and that high fence can right. just be used as a tool. Yeah. And and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna say verbatim what's written in the article. You guys can go to our website and read that article if you want. But in that article, we talk about how how high fence can be used as a management tool, no different than food plots or stand setups. As far I mean, obviously it's more expensive, but no different than other management tools that you use yeah. to, to look after your population. You're trying to keep your deer from wandering away and never coming back in the rut, basically. Yeah. Yeah. And you're trying to keep other deer with, especially if you're you know, feeding protein and trying to have a good deer population and keep those trash, book, trash books out of there. Um, we're really trying to really trying to do a better job of keeping those other deer from coming in and breeding into your own herd. Yeah. So that's a, that's a really good article. You guys should go check it out. Definitely. And, uh, and let us know what you think. Give us some feedback on it as well. Um, we'd love to hear your thoughts on that. Yeah. So. Sam, you got anything else? Man, uh, I mean, I could blabber on about this stuff oh, forever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, I, I really... Super nerd over here. I, I, I do not consider myself an expert at this, but I... I really enjoy it. I really yeah. enjoy learning about this, and I hope that other people do too because it really, it not only builds a better deer population in your respective areas, but it also makes you a better hunter. And, I mean, 
allows you to better take dominion over what's entrusted to you. Yeah, you know? absolutely. So I, I, I am all for deer management. If you can apply it, even if it's at a small scale, there's ways to do that. Like we've mentioned, I encourage you to go do it. Yeah. And do uh, it as best you can. Yeah, guys, we've thrown out a lot of good info here. Um, we've thrown out a lot of good references to our website. You can go there and check them out. Uh, there's also a lot of good resources out there. QDMA is a great one yes. to go check out. Um, but we are out of time today, so we're going to close it out. Uh, thank you guys for listening. If you haven't already, go follow Follow Obsession on pretty much every social media platform we have out there. Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Subscribe to our YouTube channel. Subscribe to this podcast. Go yes. listen to our other podcasts. I think this is number 13, maybe? Uh, I don't know Something where it's like I don't know where it's gonna fall. It's like thirteen <laughs> or fourteen somewhere in yeah. there. So yeah, uh, but yeah, go listen, go listen to all those podcasts uh, if you can. Give us a rating, five stars. We'd appreciate it. <laughs> um, but yeah, guys, we really appreciate all of your all your support out there. Thanks for following Fall Obsession. Yes. We, we really appreciate it. We appreciate you listening to this podcast. Like Nick said, share this podcast with your buddies if you enjoy it. Um, please do. Like Nick said, hit that subscribe button and also. On our website, fallobsession.com slash podcast, there is a spot where you can send in questions or topic suggestions. So if you have something you want us to cover or talk about in a future episode, you can do it right there. And we frequently have uh, some stuff similar, some questions and polls on our Instagram stories and stuff as well. Yeah, and we we love this stuff, guys. Obviously, we are called Fall Obsession, so we are pretty obsessed about this stuff. So sharing it with you guys, we couldn't do uh, what we do without you guys. Absolutely. All right, Sam. There's nothing else you got, buddy. I'm signing out, man. All right. Sounds we'll good. see you guys later. All right. Thanks for listening, guys. where you think they are. Any one of these casts could be the bite. It's the most exciting fishing that I know right here at Hawks Cave. Oh, that's awesome. Experience the best saltwater fishing the world has to offer. Don't miss Thursdays with Saltwater Experience. Brought to you by Golden Boat Lifts. Every Thursday night from 7 to 10 p.m. Eastern on Waypoint TV. The destination for outdoor entertainment.